If you've been following the news at all recently, the word epidemic is something that will be very familiar to your ears, especially in regards to what has been happening in West Africa. And this morning, I want us to take a look at how to prevent an epidemic from occurring here. The definition of an epidemic is a disease affecting many persons at the same time and spreading from person to person in one locale. The Ebola outbreak in West Africa, which has now grown into a modern-day plague, the World Health Organization figures that I read yesterday in the National Post that over 20,000 are possibly infected and well over 10,000 of those 20 will eventually succumb to this virus. And it may take putting all efforts together over nine months to begin to slow down and control its spread and devastating effect. This morning, for our purposes, I want us to take a look at a spiritual epidemic that has a very real possibility of showing up in our community. Therefore, we need to be prepared so we can limit its harmful effects from spreading among us. Like Ebola, most of you have probably heard of the word, but until recently are actually able to understand it better. The spiritual epidemic I want to talk about this morning is that of apostasy or apostate. Something if you've been in church, you probably have heard of, but might not be totally familiar with what that means. Apostasy is any defection from the true biblical faith. It's error in any form that goes against God's word. Last week, we looked at a portion of scripture written by Jesus' half-brother, James. This week, we're going to look at another whole book of the Bible written by the, another brother of Jesus. But don't panic. God only inspired him to write one chapter. So we're not going to be here all morning. You see, Jude wrote his letter to Jewish believers who had been contaminated by the spread of apostasy or false teachers. Similar to Ebola, Apostasy was spreading rampant in the church that Jude was writing to. And those who were delivering these defects from the true biblical faith were known as apostates. Any individual who proposes an idea or teaching that contradicts the true biblical faith. Therefore, Jude wrote this letter to expose and condemn the apostates who were spiritually contaminating the believers and at the same time, to call the believers to fight for the truth and prevent the spread of apostasy from infecting more in the church. Will you turn with me to the book of Jude? It is the small book right before Revelation. Beginning in verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. 
Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do not understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. You know, it's interesting if you go back to verse 1, you can learn a lot about someone by simply listening to what they say about themselves. Jude refers to himself as a servant, literally a bond slave of Jesus Christ. If you know anything about Jude and James, his brother, who opened his letter that we looked at last week in the same way, their statements about themselves reflect the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to transform lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13, Scripture says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then, sorry, then then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christians indeed have been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have been fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. May we never underestimate the importance that our Savior not only died for our sins and was buried, but he rose again. It is so crucial. And you see, Jude and his brothers did not believe their half-brother's claims that he was the Messiah. In fact, in John 7, verse 5, it says, even his brothers referring to Jude did not believe in him. In fact, in John 3, 21, we read that they thought he was deranged. But after they witnessed him raised from the dead, they were not only willing to follow him and believe in him, they were willing to give their lives to be used for his purposes. John MacArthur makes a great statement in his commentary. He says, the true barometer of spiritual stature 
is the quality and depth of a person's devotion to Jesus and his followers. So let us take a look and see three lessons that we can learn from this letter, from this half-brother of Jesus who at one time did not believe in him, but when he witnessed him raised from the dead, he could not but believe in him. Three lessons we can learn related to preventing a spiritual epidemic from occurring here in our community, specifically related to false teaching. The first lesson we learn is that when you are fighting an epidemic, it requires a call to fight. It requires a call to fight. I found it very interesting at the front end of his call to them to contend for the faith, he reminds them in his greeting of the reason he expected the believers in his day and all believers of all time to be willing and devoted to fighting against false teaching. And that is because each of us here, if you're a child of God, has experienced God's amazing grace and salvation provided through Jesus Christ. And we had such a good time celebrating that together this morning. And you see, I thought about it this week. Any of us are willing to fight to protect what we really treasure. Any of us are willing to fight for what we really treasure. I remember there was a good friend of mine in high school, his name was Bruce Strong. His parents were missionaries in Malawi. And uh, Bruce and I played rugby together. And uh, if you don't know much about rugby, often there'll be times when you see the ball go to a certain area and then there'll just be like, it looks like a doggy pile of men going to retrieve that ball. And Bruce Strong was so committed. He was a funny guy because he was kind of lanky. He was kind of uncoordinated when he ran. But one thing Bruce treasured was the possession of that ball because he knew if we had the ball, we had the opportunity to score. And it didn't matter where on the field, it didn't matter how many people were in that pile, it just became known that let them fight it up because at the end of the day, no one is going to rip it away from Bruce. No, he would just get in there with his dangly arms, he'd get his hands on that ball, and literally it was like Velcro to his body. And you could try everything you wanted to tear that away from him, you are not going to get it away from him because he treasured it. He knew the importance of having possession of the ball and what that meant for his team. Do we treasure our salvation so intensely? Do we hold on to it? Are we willing to fight to protect the truth of our salvation? We sang it this morning. I wrote down as we were singing. Does it, when was the last time you were overwhelmed by the satisfaction that you have because you are saved? And you see, in that second part of verse 1, I was blown away this week, and I hope that the Holy Spirit will also prick your heart. Your salvation includes being called. Look at how he addresses them. To those who have been called. Your salvation includes being called personally. Don't underestimate that. Personally, by the Creator, God, ruler of all things, to enjoy a relationship with Him. Think about that. Your salvation includes being called in Romans 1-7 to be his holy people, set apart for his purposes. Think about that. When was the last time you sat down and thought, I can't believe the God of the universe personally called me and wants me to be a part of a group of people that he is going to set apart in this world for his purposes? Your salvation includes being loved 
by God the Father. We get to experience His unconditional, unending love. We sang about it this morning. And because of His love, we are justified. That means we are in right standing before God. Because of His love, He continues to sanctify us, to make us more into the image of His Son. And because of His love, we will one day be glorified. You see, God's love initiated the plan for our salvation, and He completes it through Jesus Christ. Not only are you called, not only am I called, not only have you been loved by God the Father and I've been loved by God the Father, but we are kept for Jesus by God's love. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? And do you think Jesus is committed to you? Listen to what he says in John chapter 6, verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. Believers, we are secure in Christ, and we will be preserved for his glory. And that's why it's so important that we always gather together to remind each other and to celebrate this great salvation that we share in common, being called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Folks, we have an amazing and very precious salvation. And if you notice in verse 3, that was originally what Jude wanted to write these people about. His desire, it says, dear friends, I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, which I've just talked about it in my address to you. But as often happens, his desire was hijacked by God's will. And God's will was to inspire him to write to them regarding the immediate danger they were facing, apostasy, false teachings amongst them, and the urge for them to contend for the faith, fight for the truth, like a soldier who has been entrusted with the sacred task of guarding a holy treasure. And what is that treasure that we are to go after and fight and hold on to? It doesn't matter who tries to tear it away from us. What is it? It's the truth of our salvation, our faith, contained in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 13 and 14, Paul says to Timothy, what you heard from me, Keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. The message, the gospel, our scripture is so precious. How precious? It was crucial in every single one of you here today who have experienced God's grace and mercy in your life to save you. Because in Romans 10, verse 17, it says that faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And in regards to this message, Jude says, 
it has once for all been entrusted to God's holy people. It is complete. It is sufficient. And we are warned throughout the Old Testament and in, in the New Testament as well that nothing is to be added to God's Word. And nothing is to be taken away from His Word. So folks, if you this morning have experienced God's grace in your life, I hope you appreciate the fact, I hope I appreciate the fact that we have been called. We've been loved by the Father and we are being kept for Jesus. We have an amazing salvation. All outlined for us in these holy scriptures. I encourage you as Jude was inspired by God to that congregation, contend for the faith. Fight for the protection and the accuracy of our faith. Secondly, to prevent an epidemic from occurring, a spiritual epidemic, specifically apostasy from occurring here, the threat needs to be identified and its harmful effects need to be understood. When I was interacting with my brother while we as a family were anxiously awaiting his evacuation from Liberia, one of the things he shared with me is he, he said, Calvin, it's so hard. The fight to stop this is so hard. Because he said, not only, number one, is the virus itself dangerous, but number two, unfortunately, just because of lack of education and because of the high degree of superstition and witchcraft that is part of life in West Africa, he said the hardest part is we're trying to educate people who don't even believe Ebola exists. So how do you go and tell someone to not do their traditional way of burying their family that includes a lot of hands-on interaction with the body? They don't believe that it even exists. In fact, they believe that in some cases it's actually being bought from the West to infect those in Africa. This is very real. Not understanding the threat and its harmful effects is real and it's dangerous. So in verse 4, Jude identifies the threat. He says in verse 4, certain men have, have slipped in among you, individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago. They've secretly slipped in among you. Just like the Ebola virus, it invades an individual's body without them even being aware of it. Life goes on as normal. But after a while, more specifically about 21 days, symptoms begin to appear. But even though symptoms began to appear, there were no alarm bells at the start of this epidemic because the symptoms seemed no different than those of the flu or malaria. It wasn't until more and more people began to exhibit the symptoms and more and more people started to die from its effect that an outbreak of Ebola in West Africa was identified and publicly declared. You see, the individual carrying the Ebola virus is not contagious and is not dangerous until the symptoms manifest themselves. Here we read that these false teachers had secretly slipped in, and it seemed like the church was unaware of their danger. They just looked like everyone else. They seemed to be genuine, the real thing. But what they taught was contrary to God's Word. Could this really happen in our day and age with all the technology, all the books, 
all the online services that we can listen to. Could this really happen? Could someone really slip in amongst us and declare something that would lead us away from the truth of God? It can happen. When I was preparing this sermon on Thursday afternoon, I was sitting at my desk and I, I heard something. And when I heard it originally, I thought, man, I better go check if Carol at the front's okay because it was, it was loud and I was like, what's going on here? And then as I watched what it was, it helped me to realize that yes, it can happen amongst us. People can secretly slip in and in their clever ways defect from true biblical faith. I quote from a worship leader, when we obey God, we are not doing it for God. That's one way to look at it. But really, we're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we are happy. Therefore, do good just for your own self. And do good because God wants you to be happy. So as you worship Him today, you are not doing it for God. Really, you are doing it for yourself. And that's what really makes God happy. That was the start of a large service at a very, very large church. Folks, the last time I checked, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that includes your worship. You do it all for the glory of God. The song we sang this morning, we are here for you. The last time I read Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, if anyone wants to be my disciple or follower, they must first deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow you. And you know what struck me after I'd studied this passage? There is many disciples in that church who may be a babe in Christ or an infant in Christ. And because of that individual's defection from truth in calling them to worship, will go on a track presuming that this precious gift of salvation that has been entrusted to them is simply to make them happy. Do you see the danger? We must be so careful. Jude identifies these individuals as counterfeits, posing as itinerant teachers. You need to know, church family, that anyone, Pastor Rick or any of our pastors, invites to come and speak at a special event. There is many, many hours put in to listening to their truth that they present, checking in on references, making sure that they come truthfully before they speak to you. Because as pastors, we are very aware that people can slip in secretly amongst us and present something that isn't truthful. You need to understand we love you. And because we love you, we go through that work to make sure and guard you from such individuals. They had infiltrated the body of believers using their slick and secret ways. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 describes them as this. Such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. But here's the good news. As we fight to prevent an epidemic, a spiritual epidemic from occurring in our community, just like Ebola, there are clear symptoms 
that accompany an apostate or a false teacher. They may lie dormant for a period, but they will inevitably show up. And in the book of Jude, he lists 18 of these symptoms. You can go ahead and put them up, the whole lot, because I'm not going to remember them every one. Ungodly, morally perverted, they deny Christ, they defile their bodies, they're rebellious, they dishonor holy angels, they're dreamers, they're ignorant, they're corrupted, they're grumblers, they're fault finders, they're self-seeking, arrogant speakers, flatterers, mockers, they cause division, they're worldly-minded, and they were without the Spirit. Eighteen very clear, very specific symptoms that someone who is amongst us or in your circles of influence might be an apostate. Very clear symptoms. And the reason they exhibit these symptoms is because in verse 4, the Scripture tells us that they are ungodly people who at the core of themselves, like all of us were before God's saving grace, are wicked. And not only that are they ungodly, but they have perverted the grace of God which we treasure and which we will fight for and which we will contend with everything that we have. These people have perverted that precious treasure of salvation and God's grace into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our sovereign and Lord. They have decided according to their own natural wisdom to determine what the implications of God's grace means in a person's life. And they have turned it into a license to live unchecked, immoral lives. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 1, related to God's grace, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Oh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus himself warns us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says, watch out for these false people, these false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Ah, 18 fruit that we can recognize someone who is a defector from the truth. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. In our passage in verse 12, he uses some images from nature to highlight the emptiness of these ungodly individuals with these symptoms. He calls them blemishes, stains, or dirt spots. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They don't really care about others' needs. They do whatever they can to take advantage of people. Clouds without rain look like they may bring some relief but have nothing to offer. Autumn trees were heading into fall, unfortunately, but it's happening. I know because the deer are getting harder to see in the fields grazing. They all head to Florida around this time of year. 
Autumn trees with fruit, without fruit and uprooted, doubly dead. Not only are they not able to produce fruit, they're dead. They're uprooted. Wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. I remember in Mombasa in East Africa in the morning, you'd see all the workers go out to the beach to rake up all the garbage that the waves had brought in during the night. This is how he describes these people. They stir up moral filth. They appear as powerful ministers, but given time, their wicked lifestyle exposed their worthless shame. Wandering stars, just as a, just as a sudden and a bright shooting star appears, it vanishes into the darkness forever. And their doom is spelt out in verse 14 and 15. They will be judged, they will be convicted, and they will be sentenced. Just as those he described in verses 5 through 7 from the Old Testament. Just like the people when he was leading them into the promised land and they didn't believe, they had to face the consequences. Like fallen angels, they had consequences. And Sodom and Gomorrah, the apostasy of Sodom and Gomorrah, they had consequences. So folks, people amongst us who come to divide us, who come to your study group, with truth that is contrary to God's word, examine their lives, watch their lives, and if you start to see these symptoms, be careful. For their day of judgment is coming. Finally, the last lesson we learn from the book of Jude, in order to prevent an epidemic from occurring, we must be equipped, we must be equipped to fight a good fight. And this involves equipping in two different categories. First of all, we have personal action that we need to take. If you go to verse 17, Jude says, but dear friends, in light of everything I've just told you about these apostates, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Stay alert, church, and do not forget what we know. Throughout Scripture, it has been predicted. Some texts you can look at. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and 31. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Throughout Scripture and in our passage today, he told the believers, don't be surprised. This is what has been predicted from long ago. There will be scoffers among you who will want to divide you because they simply follow their natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. And if you do not have the Spirit, Romans 8, 9 says, you do not belong to Christ. First of all, stay alert and don't forget what you know. Secondly, build yourself up. Build yourself up. In verse 20, he says, Dear friends, by building yourself up in what? In your most holy faith. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. In contrast to the ungodly who build themselves up in their own earthly wisdom and live according to their mere natural instincts. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. We have a sure foundation to build on, and that's Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 tells us that. We have the blueprints of our most holy faith, the truth of God contained in the Word of God. I encourage you, I encourage you 
to build yourself up in your faith, to personally devote yourself to understanding and craving and loving God's Word. Not only personally, but also in community. And that's why I'd encourage you in the fall, when we on Sunday evenings and during the week, when we gather in small groups called discipling communities, I encourage you, sign up to be a part of one of them. Next week in the lobby, there'll be a table with information. You need to build yourself up in the Word of God personally, but also together in community so that we can make sure we know what it is and treasure what it is we are fighting for and what it is we are contending for. Then he goes on to say the third thing, pray, pray, pray. And praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, when I first went to the first meeting about the Festival of Hope, they, someone had questioned Dr. Billy Graham years ago, what do we need to do to have a successful event in Toronto. And those were his words. He says, you pray, you pray, and you pray again. Folks, if we are going to contend for our faith, if we are going to fight a good fight, we cannot rely on our own strength. And prayer shows our dependency on God. But it's not just praying any old way. It's praying, he says, in the Holy Spirit, in the will and the power of the Holy Spirit not according to our own natural instincts. And if you build yourself up in the faith, personally and in community, you will have a better idea of how to pray according to the will of the Holy Spirit. And finally it says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Remain in God's love. Our response to this amazing salvation we sang about this morning and the amazing grace that we have received should be to live obedient and faithful lives, not perverting the grace of God. Live in obedience where you experience God's love poured out as opposed to being disobedient and constantly receiving His chastening. Keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with people as we fight the good fight. That's our personal action. That's what all of us need to do. But then he ends off by saying we also have a responsibility to others as we try to prevent a spiritual epidemic of false teaching amongst us. First of all, he says in verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful to those who doubt. Those are unbelievers and those are also the poorly discipled. I have compassion and mercy on my heart for those thousands and thousands of believers who went to worship that day, and that's what their leader told them. I am brokenhearted for them. I have mercy for them. Don't be harsh or criticize those who have come under the influence of false teaching. Show compassion to them. Lead them back to the truth. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded them. Comes right back to what we're supposed to do and make disciples. Folks, if someone in our circle of influence, someone in our youth group, someone in our young adults, in our seniors, retirees, I don't care what age demographic, if someone, because they're poorly discipled, has come under the influence of bad teaching, don't jump all over them. Let's be compassionate. Let's be merciful. Let's lead them back to the truth that we fight so hard to contend for and teach them to obey everything Christ has commanded. Let's make disciples of them. Secondly, we have a responsibility. He says, 
Save others by snatching them from the fire. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Those who are deeper in the grip of deception and confusion, we need to go after. It's one, it is a good thing to pray for them. But folks, it's, you don't need to pray if someone's burning in a fire. We need to go and rescue them. We need to go after them because we have compassion and because we have mercy. Snatch those from the fire who are in the deeper grips of deception and confusion. And we will know they are because of their words and their actions. They need to be rescued. They're on the verge of destruction. Finally, he says to others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. These are disciples of apostates. They are lost and they believe the false teaching and they're living out the symptoms of the epidemic. They still deserve mercy. They still deserve mercy. But handle them with caution. Should the rescuer also be contaminated by the spiritual epidemic? You know, it's sad to think 120 healthcare workers now have the Ebola virus as a result of contending and fighting against this virus. Dr. Brantley, who was on my brother's staff, he did everything he thought he had. He put on the hazmat suit every day he went into the clinic. He still got contaminated. We need to show people mercy, but we need to be very careful and cautious to make sure that we ourselves aren't contaminated. As John MacArthur says, the immoral lifestyle of false teachers can spread its contagion even to the most well-meaning individual. And so, brothers and sisters, as we head into kickoff Sunday, as we head into a new season, the fall season of ministry, can I urge you to contend for the faith. Identify and fight against what is ungodly. Jordan, as you and the team come up to lead us in our final song, we're going to do something this morning to end our service. I'm going to ask if you would stand up with me. And in response to God's challenge to us today to contend for the faith, we sang a song earlier, we will be defiant in His name. We're not going to be rebellious for the sake of being rebellious. But when we are defending truth, we will be defiant. We will fight for it. We will contend for the faith because we have experienced it. We have been called. We've been loved. And we are kept. So if you are here this morning and you are a child of God, by grace, through God's mercy, through the gift of faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, you have confessed your sins and received Him as your personal Savior, then this message is for you. And the question I have for myself and the question I have for you is, are we and will we be willing to fight like our brothers and sisters are who are being persecuted around the world? So if you are saved and if you are willing to make a commitment before God and each other to fight for the faith, then I thought it would be a great way to end our service today by reading the Apostles' Creed together, declaring verbally what we believe, and then Jordan and the team is going to lead us in the key to it. The key to us being able to fight a good fight is we need God's help. 
We need God's help. We cannot do this in our own strength. So we are going to declare publicly what we are willing to fight for and what we believe. And then we are going to acknowledge to God, you are our help. And then I'll close in prayer. So let us read together. And don't read it if you don't believe it. This is a call to Christians who are willing to fight for the faith. Let us read together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal church of which Christ is the head, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us ask God for his help in fighting a good fight. Before I read the benediction, I just want to encourage you that if you are here this morning and uh, you have not experienced the amazing salvation, the precious gift that we have communicated through song and through word this morning, don't leave. This can be your day today. God might be calling you and he wants you to experience his love and know what it means to be kept secure in Jesus. You come forward afterwards. I'll be there. Some of our pastors there. We would love to share with you what we treasure and what we fight for so diligently and what we are vigorously devoted to. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you know that you haven't fought a good fight yet, I would encourage you to come forward. I'd love to pray with you and encourage you that you'll take that stand, that you will fight the good fight. We would love to encourage you. You're still here. That means you have days ahead to keep fighting. Wouldn't it be great that today you take a turn and you start fighting a good fight? So in closing, brothers and sisters, to whom, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. May God bless you and strengthen you to fight a good fight.